the end of that video says everyone was made to worship, but we were made to worship just one. Everyone was made to worship, but we were made to worship just one. The video also said that in the Bible, we are taught that. And then it says that all things were created in, by, and for him, for Christ. Well, we, many of us know that, and we understand that. We've read that. But at the core of our faith is this thing called the Bible. And most of us have one or two or ten of them. Some have them on a uh, phone. Some have a computer. Some go old school. But there really is nothing in the Bible that says the more Bibles you own, the closer you are to God. This is what the Bible says about itself. Scripture is breathed by God. And it's useful to us for teaching us, for rebuking us, for challenging us and training us in the right way to live. So that the man of God, the woman of God, can be trained for good works. That's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16, 17. But I find the Bible not well read in many of our lives. I find that we're too busy, or I find that we go back to the same verses time and time again to endorse what we've done always before anyway. And I think that that's legitimate if we don't understand that the Bible is really a very reliable document. If we haven't looked at Scripture and figured out, you know, well, I I know the church says I should read this, I know that I grew up. People telling me I should read this, and I know Jesus loves me, this I know because the Bible tells me so. Well, so, so. So you're sitting across the table from a friend who doesn't go to church, isn't a Christian, and they say to you, why should I read the Bible? What do you say? I'm going to pause and take a drink of water while you think about that. What do you say to somebody that says, well, is the Bible really reliable? Hasn't science disproved it? Doesn't archaeology look over it? Aren't there a lot of contradictions? What do you say? 
none of us have to be Bible experts. We have to have some sense of trust in Scripture. Or how can we base our lives day in, day out, base our marriages, our families, our actions, choices, decisions on this book that's 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years old in parts? And so this morning, I just want to talk to you about, is the Bible reliable? And obviously, I think it's reliable. Obviously, I, I believe it's Scripture, God breathed, all that stuff. But I think it's important for us to just take a look at Scripture and say, okay, why do we think it's reliable, perhaps? Before I do that, just a bit of a commercial, okay? Push the pause button, a bit of commercial. One... You're blessed beyond measure this morning. Because I have a bit of a cold, so the message will be a little bit shorter than normal. Perhaps. Maybe God will heal my throat and we'll be here till 12.30. But I do want to say a bit of a commercial about an organization called Lifeline Christian Ministries. I feel like a televangelist all of a sudden. It's really cool. We have this new ministry that has moved into the building next door to us. And they do mission work in places like Haiti, uh, I think Honduras, and they have just uh, taken over a mission in, um, I want to say Arizona. It's a uh, Native American reservation with a chapel and school and all this stuff, and they've just taken that over. Taking it over isn't quite exactly what I mean, but you know. And they have an open house today from 2 to 4. And so I, I'm not sure that I can make it. I'm going to try to make it. But I'd love to see some of you just go over there and meet them. I went to their ribbon cutting uh, a couple days ago and talked with the CEO and some of the folks over there. And I've told them that we're going to try to work in with some mission trip, mission activities with them this coming summer, 2012. We're working on some of that. And would love to have you all involved in that. But um, I uh, am excited about this mission organization being right next door to us. I don't think it's uh, coincidental. I would like to think that God's just bringing some people together. And here we have over next to us in the building a uh, dance organization uh, based in Scripture and Christ. I just think, think a lot of things are coming together for us to reach out and evangelize and mobilize this generation to reach the next generation. I, I just don't think that that's all coincidence. Furthermore, I think God's going to give us the opportunity, and if we don't seize it, God will go elsewhere. I think we need to seize opportunities when God presents themselves to us. So uh, whether it's this Thanksgiving banquet we have coming up and you inviting people who don't go to church, uh, whether it's checking out this Lifeline 2 to 4 today, if you're able, and that's really just if you're able, you're going to hear more about it. Um, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna take this place uh, from here five miles out. We're going to take this place. We're going to take it. 
and uh, I hope you're with us. If you're not, I, I get it. There are other churches around. But we're going to take this place five miles out. So jump on board. <clears throat> so we're talking about the reliability of the Bible. And last week I talked to you about the history of the Bible. And history of the Bible simply saying, you know, how did we get the text that we have? And so I went through the process of how did this Bible come into be today, the reliability, what evidence do we have that the Bible can be trusted? Do we have any external evidence that the Bible can be trusted? And next week I'm going to talk to you about how to study the Bible. It's a great message, not because it's coming from me and I have any great ideas. It's a great message. I'm going to give you just this very simple process that's been around for a long time of how you can just read the Bible and get more out of it. That's what I mean. Hey, can you just read the Bible and get more out of it? And then the last week is uh, kind of the Thanksgiving deal, uh, Bible-sized gratitude. 1 Peter 3.15, I quoted to you last week, says, In your hearts set Christ apart as Lord. And then be prepared to give people an answer of reasons why you believe as you believe. In other words, we are not just supposed to tell people, well, I I just believe or I just go to church or it it, it helps me in my life, which is all good. But, But why do we believe Scripture? Why do we believe that this has some impact in our lives in 1 Peter 3.15 ends with these words, when you're prepared and you share with people, do this with gentleness and respect. In other words, we're not supposed to beat people over the head with Scripture just because we believe perhaps it's God's Word. We're supposed to share with people and invite them in. So how do we do that if we don't have confidence that the Bible is accurate? How do we do that if we don't believe that the Bible is... um, God breathed, or do we in the secret recesses of our minds, you've got to be honest with yourself, say that the Bible is really important and powerful, but it's really not really more important than the Quran. It's really not more important than the Book of Mormon. Is Scripture unique in some significant ways? And this is not to negate or bash any other faith. This is just to say that if we can't have confidence that Scripture is somehow reliable, trustworthy, beyond reproach, then how can we base our lives in it? How can we be comfortable? Here's the words I shared with you last week. How can we be comfortable and confident in the accuracy, authenticity, and authority of Scripture. How can we be confident in the accuracy, authenticity, and authority of Scripture? If we cannot be confident in that, how are we going to create environments where people can engage in their spiritual quest? So, this morning, I'm just going to talk to you about two areas in which the Bible is quite reliable. Talk amongst yourselves. It's interesting, I tell you, to talk amongst yourselves and that's the most quiet you ever get. (laughs) But now you're going to do something amongst yourself. I'm going to give you a minute. 
to share something with somebody seated around you. If it's your spouse, that's fine. It's not a time to make the grocery list or anything like that. I want you to share something in groups of three. You ready? You ready? What is your favorite? What is one of your favorite verses in the Bible or biblical stories? What is your favorite verse in the Bible or biblical stories? I really like this story because, or this verse means a lot to me. Okay? You'll notice I'm not asking you what's the shortest verse in the Bible. What is it? Jesus wept. Or what's the longest verse in the Bible? What is it? Pastor who? What? Caster 8-9? What? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay, are you ready? No? No? Okay. Your favorite verse or your favorite story in the Bible. I'm just going to give you a couple of minutes Turn to people around you, beside you, behind you. Ready, go. Time it. You're supposed to turn around now. About one more minute. All right. All right. What's one of the favorite uh, uh, biblical stories? Somebody wants to share real quickly. Now tell the story. What's one of your favorite Bible stories? Joseph. Joseph? Like what? Selling his brothers or brothers selling him? You like the story of Joseph? Good. What else? Balaam. Who? Balaam and his donkey. There's always one in a crowd. Who else? <laughs> Who else? The prodigal son. Awesome. Uh, favorite verse. Anybody got a particular verse they want to highlight? Acts 4.13. That's good. What? Acts 4.13. Acts 4.13. Tell them what it is. When they saw the prayers of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Awesome. Awesome. Yes, ma'am. Awesome. Awesome. One more verse. Anybody else got another verse? Psalm 23. I won't make you quote the whole thing. Although I know you could. In the King James Version. That's, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, she's holy. Okay. 
That's awesome. I, you know, it's just, it's just good to talk to each other sometimes, encourage each other. This, this verse means something to me. This story means something to me. I'm going to talk to you about two things that give evidence for the re- reliability of Scripture. First of all, I want to talk to you about archaeology. I want to talk to you about archaeology. More and more um, uh, technology is being used. More and more travel is uh, able to occur, and more and more funds are being uh, put into the field of archaeology to discern whether or not some of the biblical stories uh, are true. I'll give you a couple examples. And I, I, I don't expect you to get all of these details, but, but I do expect you to, to understand the magnitude of what I'm trying to say to you. I don't want it to be a school lecture, but I want you to get a sense that we're just sitting in a living room together and I'm just sharing with you, this is why I believe uh, Scripture is as reliable as it is. Over 20,000, number one, over 20,000 cuneiform tablets have been unearthed in the 20th century. 20,000, 20th century. Some of them date back to the year approximately 1500 B.C. And in these 20,000 cuneiform tablets, there has not been one document that has disproved the cultural and legal world as it is described through the stories of Abraham and Moses. Let me say that again. 20,000 cuneiform tablets, 20th century, back to 1500 B.C. None of those tablets, how many tablets? None of those tablets have uh, contradicted the legal and cultural background spoken of in the stories of Abraham and Moses. They all corroborate. Number two. Did I pause on number two? Did I tell you that in my head there is a file cabinet drawer? Did I ever tell you that? There is, it's true. And this will explain much of what I do. There is a file cabinet drawer in my head that I put things that I don't understand. So I put things, many things come to mind right now, but I'm not going to say any of them because it wouldn't be good for my marriage. I want... In my head, there are pieces of scripture that I don't understand. There are things that Jesus said that I don't understand. So I pretend that there is a file cabinet drawer in my head, and the title of that drawer, I label it. The label on that drawer is Awaiting Further Light. Because I don't want to make, and I'm I'm trying to tell you something that I think is very important here. I don't want to make a decision based on lack of information. It is dangerous to make decisions 
based on lack of information. So, number two, archaeology, reliability of Scripture. Until less than a hundred years ago, virtually all scholars, secular and sacred alike, dismissed some of the stories in the Old Testament as myth and mythology because it mentioned this nation called the Hittites. The Hittites. Now, this nation was mentioned in Scripture in at least four different books of the Bible. And the Hittites were talked about in the Old Testament as being a major power, a very advanced society. But there had never been any archaeological evidence found for the Hittites. If there was such a large, important advanced society like the Hittites, and we know where most of the biblical stories took place, right? Then, then, then surely those stories could be assumed as fabricated or at least blown out of proportion. Hence, the file cabinet drawer in my head that says, well, don't make all the decisions yet. Await some further light, some further evidence. Well, in the second half of the 20th century, that's the 1900s, not that long ago to some of us, in what is modern-day Turkey, the ruins of the Hittite nation were found. Indeed, it was found to be such an advanced nation that a dictionary of the Hittite language now exists at the University of Chicago. These were not people that had sticks and stones and beat on one another. This was an advanced society, just as talked about in Scripture. This was a society with a complex language, just as talked about in Scripture. And until 50, 60, 70 years ago, scholars, sacred and secular, said, well, that part of the Old Testament probably wasn't true. There is something fundamentally encouraging to me when people dig up dirt, literal dirt, and find artifacts and remnants and ideas that corroborate Scripture. Number three. Before the 19... Before the end of the 1950s, 25,000 archaeological sites have been unearthed that had something to do with stories in the Bible. 25,000 archaeological sites unearthed that had something to do with a story in the Bible. How many of them have gone against or disproven or challenged a basic biblical story? Old Testament or New Testament? 
Not a single one. Not a single one of the 25,000 unearthed archaeological sites has disproven, discounted a basic biblical story. No other religious document can claim that. For example, and I'm not going to give too many of these kinds of examples because this is not an anti-this faith. It is an understanding of the biblical faith. I'll give you one. The Book of Mormon makes the claim that there was a civilization, a civilization in North America, this place, sometimes between the year 400-600 B.C., not one shred of archaeological evidence has ever been found to corroborate, substantiate that claim. I put it in the awaiting further light. I'm okay with that. But throughout all of Scripture, there are these 20,000 cuneiform tablets... 1500 B.C., there's the Hittite record, and there's 25,000 archaeological sites, and all of that points to, all of that just simply points to, this book has tremendous archaeological, which means historical, reliability. I'm not saying that it proves you need to base your life on it. That is a statement of faith that you need to come to at some point in your life. But what it does say is that we, as people who are Christian or who are seeking or wondering, does this book have any real concrete roots to it? We do not need to cower back or apologize to anyone when this book is challenged. It also means, in the words of Peter, we do this with gentleness and respect. And so, I say to you with gentleness and respect, the archaeological evidence points to not only the veracity, but the reliability of Scripture as it has been unearthed to date. And we need to feel good about that and not cower back. The second area I want to talk to you about is what's called textual evidence. Textual understanding. In other words, reading Scripture, do we get a sense of truthfulness, the original um, documents, how far back do they go, etc., all of that. Number one, textual evidence for the reliability of Scripture. Number one, there's something called internal consistency. And what that means is, for example, we have four biographies of Jesus, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They open the New Testament. 
They are four biographies, and we call them Gospels. What does the word Gospel mean? Good news. That's all it means. These were written in a variety of times by a variety of authors in a variety of uh, places for a variety of audiences. And while they have this various background, they remained to believers and non-believer alike to have a rather consistent message throughout. In other words, this is really very important to scholars. Listen. In other words, they may have various voices, but there is a unified message. The deal for scholars is this, who spend their lives looking at this. If you and I and a couple other people were going to concoct a story about this guy named Jesus, wouldn't we come together and make it all very uniform and very consistent? Well, to historical scholars, they say if it all was cut and pasted exactly alike, we would know it's a lie. Because if you get four people in a room and they try to share with you an evidence of something that they have seen, wouldn't there be subtle differences in the way they view the story? What I'm trying to say to you is that actually since there is such a consistency in the story with a variety of viewpoints being presented, some scholars would point to that as being evidence that the Bible is more reliable because it isn't all lockstep, same story in every book. Some of the Gospels have different stories. Some of the Gospels tell the same story in a different way. But historical critics look at that and they say that there is textual evidence that it is all of the same vein, that it's all of the same story. Consistency within the variations. Does that make sense? All right. There is remarkable harmony and consistency in the overarching story. Number two. Scholars have a lot of documents to look at. What do we call the documents that the New Testament was written on? What do we call that? Papyrus. Remember that word from last week? It's written out in scrolls. Remember, scrolls can be over 100 feet long. Remember, we talked about that a little bit. And in the Old Testament, it was written on what? animal skins, uh, over uh, stretched out, and also in scrolls, okay? All right. So one of the things historians do to see if some document is accurate, it's just, you know, we, we just want to know if this document is accurate or reliable. They look at how many copies of this thing do we have? How many scrolls or papyrus or whatever it is they're writing on? Let me share something with you that I find fascinating. There are documents out there that the teens are required to read in school. Uh, Homer's Iliad. How many of you ever heard of Homer's Iliad? Not Homer Simpson. I know most of you have heard of him. Homer's Iliad, right? You've heard of that before. They're going to be required, I hope, to read that in school. 
Now, there are, there are uh, um, um, a number of original copies. They're also going to be required to read things written by Aristotle. I hope they're going to be required to read things by Aristotle. Okay? Here's the point. Listen. The original documents that we have of Aristotle's writings, we have 49 of them. We have 49 documents that we know are copies of what Aristotle actually wrote or his scribes, okay, usually dictated. This is really important. Uh, I want you to get this. The earliest one we have is over a 1,000 years after he died. Okay, you got that? Aristotle, I'm Aristotle. I died. <laughs> a thousand years later is the earliest document we have of what I wrote before I died. <laughs> okay, you with me? How many documents do we have of what I wrote? 49. How many years in between I wrote them and, and the old, oldest document we have? A little over a thousand years. 49. Homer not Simpson, Homer's Iliad. How many documents do we have, copies of the stuff that he wrote? 600. So we go from Aristotle, got 49. We go to Homer, got over 600. The point is that historians look at this stuff and they say, well, okay, we got 600 of these. Are they consistent in what they say? Because if Homer said this and this one, and this one says something way different, but all other 599 of them say this, well, what's most likely the most accurate historical document? Wouldn't it be the 599? Wouldn't historians li likely go, right? Okay. For the Bible, Old Testament, we have over 14,000. 14,000 copies of something written that we call the Old Testament. Aristotle, 49. Homer, 600. Buckeyes, I mean Old Testament, 14,000. And those documents, in huge measure, agree with one another. So these teams are going to be in class. They're going to be required to read Aristotle and Homer and not a single teacher or professor is going to challenge if Homer or Aristotle wrote what they're required to read. But in almost every school and university, if they read the Old Testament, almost every teacher and professor is going to say, how do we know that's really what was written? That's bunk. And the trouble is, most of their parents are not going to know what I just shared with you.
and that's a shame. I'm going to skip that part. Yeah, I'm going to skip that part. No, I'll put that part in. Maybe I'll put that up for an hour. Yeah, I want to put that part in. Okay. I say, how many? I, this is really important. I almost skipped over a really important part. <laughs> Go figure. How many copies? Old Testament was I just talking about? How many? 14,000. 14, Old Testament. Quote, in the case of the New Testament, we have 24,947. They've been discovered in different lands, different languages, and the oldest copy goes back to almost your A.D. 100. Almost 25,000 copies of what was written in the Old Testament, uh, of New Testament, of what we have now in the New Testament, so they can compare and contrast. Does this one say the same thing that one said? Does this one say the same thing that one did? Well, this one was found in Egypt. This one was found in Israel. This one was found in Turkey. Let's put them all together. Do they say the same thing? That is an important exercise. I think it's good when historians and archaeologists challenge Scripture. I think it's good. Because every time that that has been done, it has turned out to be a reliable document. The stories, the overarching meaning, and all of that has come out to be truth, veracity, and reliable. I don't mind anybody challenging it. I mind us not being able to respond to people when they challenge it. Now the question is, why might some of these... How many documents Old Testament? How many documents New Testament? Just round it to 25. Don't worry about the 25,000. One of the ancient traditions of the Hebrew people was that when a scribe was copying a document, okay, 25,000 documents, let's start with number one. Rabbi Frank is writing number one. Rabbi Joe is going to copy from Rabbi Frank. Oi. Rabbi, this rabbi, they were not, listen, they were not permitted to copy Scripture sentence by sentence. They were not permitted to copy Scripture word by word. The only way you were permitted to copy Scripture by their tradition was letter by letter by letter. And some of these documents are over 100 and 150 feet long. And we don't have time for a 15-minute devotional every day. No, yes, yes, no, yes. 
So for 2,000 years, New Testament has been challenging us to live. And archaeologically and textually, we have solid ground to stand on. Scripture will not fall. As we see the evidence now, here's where I'm going to leave this. I'm going to cut out a couple things up here. Here's where I'm going to leave this. Scripture will not fall because the evidence of its truthfulness or accuracy or veracity is suspect. In this year, 2011, we have more evidence for the reliability, accuracy of Scripture than they've ever had before. Here is where Scripture will fall. Scripture will not be defeated through challenging and accuracy and archaeological. It's it's not. Here's where Scripture will fall. Through apathy. Apathy. Ignoring Scripture and saying, well, it's just another book of another religion. Simply put, according to Chuck Colson, the Bible is the rock on which the church stands or falls. It's the ultimate earthly authority for the way we live our lives. It is, to speak a little bit theologically, it is revealed propositional truth. It's revealed because it was shared through human beings from the mind of God. God revealed something to them and they wrote it for us. It's propositional because it makes certain claims on our lives. Scripture says, I propose you live this way. I propose you use your money this way. I propose you talk to people, interact with people this way. These are not truth suggestions. This is scripture challenging us to live our lives a certain way. And so it's entirely okay for us to say, but is it reliable? Can I trust what is written here was what was written then and there? And I'm just suggesting to you that through archaeology and textual uh, exploration, The Bible has a tremendous amount of reliability. It claims to be able to change our lives. It claims to be able to draw us close to Jesus in ways that nothing else can. But the Bible is an impotent, old book until it is read and followed. The Bible is an impotent old 
book until it is read and followed. When it is read and followed, it can rearrange your existence. It can rearrange your world. The Bible speaks to every area of our life. From relationships to finances, from the way we speak to one another, to the way we worship in music. Where you go, I'll go. Who you serve, I'll serve. If I lose my life, still I will follow you. I don't know about you, but I just want to make sure that what I'm following is reliable. I conclude with this one passage, just one verse. Romans 13, 14. Listen to this. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not gratify yourself, but clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that you have some sense of the integrity, authenticity, accuracy of what has been brought forward thousands of years Now listen to the passage. All scripture scripture is breathed by God. And it's, it's useful to us for teaching us, rebuking us, challenging us, and training us in the right way to live. So that we can do good works. Getting Bible in you isn't really the point. Pouring scripture out of you is really the point. We stand for the closing prayer. God, thank you for historians and, and archaeologists and people that spend their lives trying to figure out if this is a true truth. And thank you, God, that, that so much evidence points to, re, to, to the reliability, the, 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 the integrity of Scripture. But God, move us past. Is it reliable? If that's where we need to start, Lord, then, then, then start us there but help us to go deeper as we can to the place where we read and we understand, to the place where we read and we live, to the place where it challenges us, it confronts us, and and sometimes we don't like that, God. I don't like that.
at that point, God, let us make a choice. Where you go, help us to follow. Just one step at a time. One choice at a time. I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.